Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupersinger. This episode of the Melbourne Business School podcast is sure to get you thinking. Joining us today, listeners, is Jeff Martin, a professor of strategy at Melbourne Business School, whose research focuses on CEO strategic decision making and the effect their decisions can have on organisations or people within a community. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Jasmine. It's a pleasure to be here. Your latest research focuses on CEOs of medical device production companies and how their decisions to recall products when the market isn't looking is having adverse effects on patients or people using their products. This sounds complicated. Can you break it down and explain this for me and our listeners? Yeah, so what we're looking at is CEO decision-making about the recall of defective products, but in the context of medical devices. Why medical devices? Well, the consequences of recalls of medical devices and getting the timing right can be life and death for the customer. So if you leave it a day or two when you could have got that announcement out earlier, someone might die. And so because of the incredible catastrophic consequences of not getting the timing of recalls right, we thought it'd be a a really interesting area to, to study. Now, more specifically, we're looking at how the CEO's accumulated option wealth, so what they've got to lose in the stock options from a decline in the share price, we're looking at how that affects the timing of their recall decisions. So what we've observed from previous studies is is that the market is less responsive to announcements that are released on a Friday. And so it's in the interests of a CEO to announce a product recall on a Friday rather than say a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday because of the fact that the share price will be less likely to come back in response to that recall announcement and therefore their option wealth, their personal wealth is less likely to take a hit. And so we've hypothesized here that the more option wealth the CEO has to lose, the more likely they are to make the release of the product recall announcement on a Friday. And so that suggests that they may have the information earlier in the week, but they don't release it because of the fact that they want to minimise the hit that they take to personal wealth. So this is, uh, this is a topic that we thought was very important because of the fact that, A, it highlights how CEO opportunistic behaviour, so looking after their own wealth, affects the interests or the the timing of these recall announcements and therefore the interests of the consumer Um, and b it really draws out the the patterns here in terms of what compensation does for ceo decision making so we use the concept of loss aversion so loss aversion describes how you're more likely to be far more negatively affected by a loss than a gain of the equivalent value so once you accumulate wealth you're going to fight really hard to preserve that. Okay, so just to stay, take a step back for a second, you've, we're talking a little bit about the magnitude of these product recall decisions by the CEOs and the effect that it can have on people. Why are CEOs making these kind of decisions? Yeah, well, because of the enormity of the consequences of these decisions for the consumer and for the reputation of the organisation, the CEOs are almost certainly having the final say on the timing and 
the the tenor, the the language used in the recalls. So it's a really good place to start with any major decision within an organisation. If you're trying to understand how that decision was made and why it was made and the timing of that decision, we very often start with the CEO. And there's a huge amount of data, Yasmin, in various fields, whether it be R&D, CapEx, level of debt, where we make a, a connection and we've got the evidence to say that there's this pattern here in terms of the compensation and what's going on with their compensation goes up or down, you know, the value of their stock or options go up and down. And what does that do for the company's level of research and development or their, their capex, or in this case, the timing of the recalls associated with um, medical devices? Oh, I've got so many questions for you about this. This is fascinating. First, can you tell me, how did you come across this issue in the pharmaceutical industry? We noted that there were some researchers uh, based in Madrid, where I did my PhD, who were studying decision-making by pharmaceutical companies. And so there was one study that showed that drug-related deaths would be reduced by 22 to 36% if the FDA, so the Food and Drug Administration in the US, if FDA safety alerts were sent on any working day other than a Friday. And so that says to you that, look, you've got to try and get the information out there as quickly as possible and tr as much as possible, bring it forward so that you don't put it out there on a Friday because the public, the press are less attentive on a Friday. And I thought, that's really interesting. It'd be really good to broaden that and just see what other decisions are made that could really significantly negatively affect the public that are also about timing and about protection of the company over protection of the customer. It seems like quite a serious issue. You mentioned that the FDA oversees this problem in the US. What about here in Australia? What's our regulatory body? In Australia, we've got the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So they'd be doing the same role or playing the same role as the FDA, as in okay. attempting to regulate pharmaceutical businesses or those who produce medical devices, whether it be an Australian business or a foreign business. It sounds like you would encounter a few challenges conducting this research on CEOs. I mean, it's quite a sensitive topic. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, it's all about the data initially. So you've got to make sure that you can accurately uh, make the connection between the, uh, the business and the product. So there's been a lot of recalls. I've got to make sure that that product aligns with the business that was... Uh, the, that owns that particular product, whatever it is. Now, the other thing that you've got to do is try and make sure you've got the data associated with the CEO's compensation. Because what I'm doing here, I'm asking the question, for every extra dollar the CEO has to lose in their, their option wealth, what does that do to their decision about the timing of a product recall? Right. And, and so what I'm, what I'm finding here is that the more they've got to lose, so if they've got a lot of stock options, so let's say you've got 10 million bucks worth of stock options uh, and you haven't yet uh, li liquidated those, they haven't been turned to cash. Uh, so I've got 10 million to lose, so I've got a lot to lose if the share price tanks. And so the more the CEO has to lose, the more they've got to protect when they're making these decisions about, okay, how do I time the, the recall of that medical device. So let's say you're a CEO, Yasmin, mm. and I say to you, righto, so it's Thursday. We know we've got a problem here. 
let's get the product recall out, product recall information out today, it's Thursday. People's lives are at stake and you say, well, hang on, if we do this tomorrow, instead of my options going from 10 million to 9 million, they'll only go from 10 million to say 98, as in the effect oh, of, the effect of, of releasing that data on a day where the market and the press are less attentive um, will mean that my, my wealth is less likely to take a hit. And so, so this is the hypothesis that we have, as in the more that you've got to lose, the more likely you are to put your personal wealth ahead of the welfare of the customer. Right. So is there potential for CEO's compensation to encourage and even incentivise behaviours that are clearly destructive and dangerous? Yeah, and this follows the pattern that I guess I've established over the last decade in the research that I do on CEO decision-making. You find really powerful evidence to show this link between how much a CEO has to lose and the decisions they make. And so, for instance, we find that the more that they've got to lose, the less they spend on R&D because they see R&D as maybe an unnecessary threat to the wealth that they've accumulated. Um, you see them uh, take on less debt. Um, I've looked at a whole range of behaviours over the years. It might be earnings management. So they're more likely to try and use discretion in accounting decisions to make sure that they, they don't undershoot on market expectations. So there's a huge amount of data to show this relationship between option wealth and because option wealth is so powerfully correlated with the share price, so there's this exponential relationship between the value of my options and the share price, it's a really good place to start when trying to work out is CEO self-interest at play in any of these decisions. All right. Well, so I'm guessing that the reason the CEOs might be entering into this kind of behaviour is to satisfy shareholders. Would that be right? Yeah, that's right. And so their compensation package has been designed very deliberately to align their financial interests with the shareholders. So they've been given these stock options to incentivise them to go and make choices and uh, implement strategy over a period of time that will elevate the share price. So that alignment between the CEO and the shareholder now has this perverse effect on this other really important stakeholder. And this is really important, Yasmin, because this gets to the heart of the potential negative consequences of having the shareholder as the number one beneficiary of the design of the compensation contract. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of noise being made in 2020 about having this stakeholder approach to designing compensation and to capitalism more generally. So the Business Roundtable in the US last year, 2019, um, Jamie Dimon, you know, Warren Buffett, etc., all got together and said, righto, no more of this shareholder primacy thing. Stakeholder capitalism is the way forward. So this isn't some radical left-wing movement. It's absolutely supported by the IMF, by mainstream uh, mainstream capitalism and you're seeing a lot of noise at the moment as to particularly from super funds in Australia you know institutional investors uh, saying look we want to make sure that the compensation contracts are designed in ways that don't create incentives for the CEO to make the shareholder rich at the cost of society and exhibit A here is the banks so the banks were really strongly criticized for creating these incentives associated with making the shareholder wealthier, which led to incentives for 
these behaviours that had all those terrible uh, consequences that we heard about in the Royal Commission. Mm. And so you see that play out quite a bit or has played out quite a bit in the last few decades where this shareholder primacy paradigm has dominated capitalism and has dominated the way we've designed compensation contracts. Well, it's great to see that there, it looks like there's a shift in the way that those contracts might be designed in the future. So, Jeff, where to from here? Where do you see this going in the next few years? Well, it'll be fascinating to see, Yasmin, how many boards change the way they've been designing CEO and executive compensation because it's not just the CEO. There's a top management team and a whole whole uh, layer of, of executives that sit below that in, in bigger organisations. So it'll be really interesting to see how much pressure comes from super funds, uh, comes from other providers of capital, you know, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, etc., uh, to see how hard those stakeholders push to make sure that the incentives are revisited, to make sure there's no more uh, really high-powered incentives for the CEO to, to benefit from a, an increase in the share price at the cost of someone else. And so what you're seeing the beginnings of now, uh, you're seeing, seeing incentives in, in CEOs' contracts where it's linked to customer outcomes, it's linked to broader community incomes, uh, outcomes, it's linked to corporate social responsibility, uh, and a, a really powerful example in the Aussie context right now is what's just happened with Rio Tinto. And so the noise that's been made by the super funds in particular as a result of that has made it really clear to corporate Australia that, hey, if you don't have a stronger sense of commitment to the communities in which you operate, then we're coming after you. You know, we'll spill your board. We'll make sure that you get rid of that CEO. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's a wave of of institutional pressure and community pressure due to the disgust that was expressed at the banks, you know, the disgust being now expressed at, at Rio Tinto, uh, where we get a sense that this sales culture and the incentives within the organisation led to those kind of decisions that had really adverse impacts for the community, in the case of Rio Tinto, for, um, for the traditional owners of that country. Are you able to tell us a bit more about what happened with Rio Tinto? Well, it appears that financial motives won the day. And if they had have had a culture and the systems within that, that made it clearer that there were significant, significant uh, implications for the traditional owners as a result of going ahead of that for the sake of another $130 million or whatever it was, mm -hmm. um, if they had have had a culture that would have flagged that and said, hang on, traditional owners are going, to, are going to be really negatively affected, we shouldn't go ahead with that. Or at a minimum, we should escalate this and make sure the board is across it. And hopefully they would then do the right thing. Uh, and so it, it's a bit like a, the kind of situation that was drawn out from the Royal Commission where we saw shareholder value win out over broader com community concerns. All right, Jeff. so can you tell me where to next with your research? What's the next step here for you? Yeah, well, I'd like to broaden it beyond just the dollars and cents of compensation to predict when a CEO is likely to make a decision that has negative implications for, for customer, society, employee, 
So what I'm looking at now uh, is CEO personality. So I've got a lot of data on, say, the big five. So extroversion, openness, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism. So we look at the five dimensions of CEO personality and pick which ones or, or predict which ones are more likely to lead to risky behaviour or dysfunctional um, choices. Uh, we're also looking at other psychological attributes of the CEO. So we talk about uh, regulatory focus. Um, so some of us are more inclined to to look at a situation and say, oh gosh, I've got to prevent a loss. Whereas someone else might look at the same situation and say, I can promote here and make that $1 million into $10 million, you know, rather than saying, oh, I've got a million bucks, I need to make sure I don't lose it. So we're looking at that prevention and promotion focus as well. Um, so I'm really trying to delve into the applied psychology literature, um, looking at concepts like psychological safety, you know, how the psychological safety within an executive team may lead to a different set of behaviours or choices and then the impact of those choices upon society. That's absolutely fascinating. I think we're going to have to catch up again once you've done some further research into this area. I'm so fascinated, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting hearing from you about your research. And as I said, I look forward to catching up with you another time to hear more about it. Thanks, Yasmin. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's good to hear someone's interested in my research. <laughs> oh, for sure. We're, we're privileged to be able to have a chat with you about it. Thanks again. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.